Welcome to the Dental Amigos podcast with Dr. Paul Goodman and attorney Rob Montgomery, taking you behind the scenes of the dental business world, all the things you didn't learn in dental school but wish you had. Rob is not a dentist and Paul is not a lawyer, but since Rob is a lawyer, we need to tell you that this podcast is for informational purposes only and shouldn't be considered legal advice. Listening to this podcast does not and will not create an attorney-client relationship. As is always the case, you should formally consult with legal counsel before proceeding with any legal matter. Learn more about The Dental Amigos at www.thedentalamigos.com. And now, here are The Dental Amigos. Hello, everyone. I'm Rob Montgomery, and I'm joined, as always, by the head nacho himself, Dr. Paul Goodman. Great to be here with you, Rob. Paul, it's good to see you on a Friday afternoon as we record this episode. Yeah, fun Friday. Uh, Today, we've got a special guest, Dr. D'Angelo Webster. Dr. Webster graduated from the University of Michigan School of Dentistry in 2016 and currently owns a successful private practice in Belleville, Michigan. Uh, D'Angelo applied for his startup loan to open his practice while he was still in dental school and then began a very uh, successful startup process shortly thereafter. He's a strong advocate for low overhead, high efficiency private practice. In 2017, Dr. Webster began documenting the daily behind the scenes of building and operating his practice, uh, which uh, you can follow in the Facebook group Practice Biopsy. Uh, You can also find the corresponding blog, which offers free articles, free dental business webinars, dental business book recommendations, and extensive dental business CE for aspiring dental practice owners. And so now, without further ado, here's Dr. D'Angelo Webster. Welcome, amigo, and thanks for being on the show today. Hi, guys. Thanks for having me on. It's a really great opportunity. This is the um, second second, uh, podcast I've been invited to, so it's an honor. Yeah, great to have you, D'Angelo. We have some hard-hitting questions to start off. Uh, uh, my Facebook group, Dental Nachos, I, I love running. And uh, what is your favorite nacho topping? If we're going out for nachos, what's your favorite nacho <laughs> topping? I'm a, I'm a big fan of the Dental Nachos group. If I had to pick my favorite topping for nachos, probably it's going to be jalapenos. Jalapenos, spicy. I like spicy it. Spicy jalapenos. That's cool. So... Uh, <laughs> You, uh, how did you get into dental ownership, and why did you get into dental ownership so so uh, soon after dental school, uh, D'Angela? Sure. So as far as the the why of uh, of getting into ownership so soon, um, when I when I was choosing my career just from a, from an early age, I I knew I wanted to be a business owner, but I didn't exactly know what kind of business and it wasn't the other way around it wasn't dentist first and then i wanted to own a practice i knew i wanted to be a business owner and i was just deciding what type of business would be a good match for my my interests um and i decided on on dentistry so pretty much as soon as i started dental school i was thinking ahead to okay how do i most efficiently put myself in a position to own a practice and what can i do during dental school to position myself so that when I graduate, I can be a practice owner. And um, I think a lot of dental students come into dental school and they have this belief that I'm going to get out of school and I'm going to own their practice. But there's nothing that's really done during dental school that, that aligns with that desire. There's nothing that they're doing during dental school on their own and definitely not through the curriculum that's actually preparing them to be an owner. 
So instead of being able to have access to practice ownership, which gives you more freedom in your your income potential, instead of being able to do that early, they graduate and they kind of float around for five years, seven years, and then, you know, they, they get into ownership. And, um, with my, with my, um, practice biopsy group, I vlog, I do daily videos. So since I first opened, I did not every day, but almost every day I'll post a video behind the scenes from the day I opened until now showing, okay, this is how the daily work goes. This is what's involved to hopefully kind of give people an insight to show you that, yes, you don't have to wait five to seven years if you really want to be an owner. There are things you can do to prepare, and this is an inside look of that part of the career. So that's that's a little bit of, of my trajectory. That's really cool. So what things did you do in dental school that you think helped uh, prepare you to uh, be a practice owner so soon after graduation? Sure. So I, I kind of did a lot of things. The, the biggest thing was uh, my thesis project. So at the University of Michigan, they have this thing called Pathways, which basically is you have to complete a, a thesis project in order to graduate school. And they tell you to pick an area of dentistry that you're interested in. And most people say, you know, I'm really passionate about endo. I'm going to do an endo research project. Or they'll make their project about, like, caries or some bacteria with perio. But to me, I was really passionate about the business side. So my thesis project to graduate dental school was the business side of dentistry and how to start a practice. So I was able to devote a lot of time to that in the curriculum and basically get credit for it. So with that project, what I did was I traveled to dental practices all over the area and I interviewed the owners about their process, about the daily, about how to get started. Um, we went through the, their financial books and the financial ends of things, and I looked for trends of what worked and what didn't work so that I could educate myself that way. So um, that's a roundabout way of saying have mentors that you can really, um, really talk to and really get good information from. Also books. So I'm a huge fan of books, um, self-improvement books, business books. During dental school, I was probably reading about a book a week, um, and I felt like that helped me a lot. Um, the, uh, our campus, the Michigan campus has a business school, a really good business school. So when I had time, I would go sit in on business classes to try and just pick up a thing here or there and kind of immerse my mindset in being a business owner. And then of course, CE, um, there's CE available, there's free CE available, there's paid CE available, but, uh, much like you would take classes and prepare for the clinical aspect, I think it's just as important to take classes and prepare for the business aspect if that really is your um your aspiration were you able to take school classes in the in the michigan business school then when when you're in dental school so i didn't take classes i didn't officially take the classes but the classrooms at that school are really big so i would kind of just walk over to the school and and see a class that was going on crashing crashing class that's like what my grandmother did back (laughs) in the movie time they'd watch a movie and they'd go to another one in the theater so you were (laughs) were embracing what you know the retired women of uh, new jersey did back in the 90s d'angelo and she she used to tell me that it was fine and the movie theater said it was fine i don't know if anyone said it was fine but you know you certainly certainly had access to some great resources there in michigan i mean that's it's an awesome thing to hear Uh, uh and so tell me a little bit more. So, I, you know, I, I actually just, you know, mouthing to Paul while, while you were talking about some of this, I, I've never heard of, you know, a, a thesis project in, in dental school. Is that uh, sort of unique then for, uh, for the University of Michigan or are there other yeah, schools that do that? It, 
it's it's one of it's one of the programs that Michigan kind of pitches um, when they're when to dental students when they're when they're applying. So they tell you that you know you get this autonomy in your education and you can pick a project in whatever you're interested in dentistry, and you can make it the big project that you work on for several years and get credit for doing that, and also a chunk of time allocated in the schedule for you to work on your project each week. That's cool. So that's something that's unique to Michigan that gave me time to do this, time to kind of learn about this area of dentistry, which is not in the regular curriculum, obviously, which I feel it, of course, should be. That's awesome, Angela. I love you sharing that. And I was just at recently at a Temple event with dental students uh, first through fourth year, and I was giving them some encouragement and advice. So I, I like book my, books myself. What are two or three of your, you know, if, if you were a dental student can only read two or three books, what, what are some of the D'Angelo top picks? Oh, my top recommended books, they would probably be, if I was a dental student, I would say I would read, I would read anything by Jim Collins. My favorite Jim Collins book is probably Great by Choice or Built to Last. Because the most popular Jim Collins book is Good to Great. A lot of people have heard of that one, but that's actually not my favorite. Um, I would also recommend Never Split the Difference by Chris oh, yeah. Boss, which is I a just book on listened to that as a recommended from a notch where that's a great one, Never Split the Difference. Uh-huh. And um, what would another one be? So one that's kind of, yeah, it's, a, it's a book that I, I really like, but it's not super popular. It's um, Toyota Way to Service Excellence. And that book is basically an analysis of lean and efficient business systems based on the Toyota um, kind of manufacturing process, um, but it's applied to the service industry, which which uh, at the end of the day, dentistry is, is a service business. So it's a, it's a pretty big book, um, maybe like a 600-page book, uh, just on business systems and how to implement them. And it's obviously not specific to dentistry, but the concepts, um, I think, were, were very helpful to me. And whenever I gift books, that's usually a book that I'll gift, is that the Toyota way... Uh, in the service industry book. Thanks for uh, thanks for sharing that. And to keep with that theme, how about de- see a dental student should take, and it could be clinical too. So I think one of the things that I'm passionate about is sharing with dental students that I, I know they're at a four-year, you know, $500,000 CE course called dental school, but there is stuff outside of dental school that you can grasp at the same time we had Tyler Bond on. And sometimes you can do it for free. Sometimes you could do it for low fee. Um, I have students come to events of ours mm-hmm. all the time. What, what would you say to a dental student? Look for this type of C while you're in dental school, whether it's management, business, or clinical. So as far as clinical goes, I think that to do the basics, Dental school can prepare you to do the basis of dentistry if you go the extra mile. So I think that if you just go through and do the bare minimum in, in dental school, um, you may not be fully clinically prepared. But if your school offers you, you know, time to like go in during break or have extra time in the oral surgery clinic or extra time in the perio clinic, I think that you should definitely capitalize on that. Um, I didn't take much clinical CEs while I was in school. I did take, I took, the only clinical CE I took while I was in dental school was an OS one for extractions. It was like for the physics forceps. I did that. Um, I, I didn't end up using physics forceps, but I, I went to that, that course. Um, for business-wise, um, I would, of course, shameless plug, 
I would recommend to go through the practice biopsy practice launch CE course that I run and operate to kind of help dental students and young dentists transition into ownership. Um, but a CE course that I did during dental school, which I found really helpful and was a good investment, was um, breakaway seminars. I did do that, and I felt like um, it was really motivational, and it really um, helped me believe that I could do what I was trying to do and also gave me some um, helpful tools. Great. I mean, I, I love you sharing that because, you know, when I sat down across from these students, uh, you know, some of them, I, it was it was tough for me to take my ego to take, but they had never even heard of dental nachos, and you know, I was, it was possible. It was, yeah, uh, but they were first year <laughs> students, and I was proud, or you know, and I was proud to say, hey, you know, consume stuff, become aware of things, you know, podcasts and Facebook groups and what you're doing because it's just so important, and I just think you know, even though we live in this information super age, that some of this really does need to be passed around verbally for people to be aware of it. And it, and it does, and it, and it, and it goes back to like what I was saying earlier, like particularly for getting into ownership, like I think every D1 comes into school, pretty much every D1 comes into school wanting to own a practice. And by the time they get out, most D4s are saying, there's no way I'm ready to own a practice. But there's some that are, there are some that start up right out, there are some that buy a practice right out. And the reason for that is the select few of the students are doing these extra things in school to really help them prepare for their goals. And it doesn't have to be business. It could be, you know, I want to be the greatest, you know, general dentist can do molar endo, can do implants, can do all of this stuff. And that person is going to have a different mindset too, where they're going to go take these extra courses. They're going to do this extra CE. They're going to immerse themselves in dentistry with their free time. You know, so whatever you're passionate about doing, you know, it's not enough to just, you have to act totally agree yeah um so tell people so you did your your practice as a startup d'angelo correct yeah. okay so was it uh did you have to build it out or was it already a a turnkey dental space uh that you that you moved into so so my practice, um, it was it was a total total scratch build out. So when I got there, um, it was an abandoned building. It wasn't even for sale. So I, I did my demographic analysis. I wasn't committed to a startup. I went back and forth between evaluating practices to buy or doing a startup, and I really let my demographics decide. So once I decided on a good location, um, once I identified a location that I thought a dental office would do really well here, I started looking. And I drove through this town that I thought would be good, and I saw this building on a corner with trash bags over the window. And it wasn't for sale, but I thought, that'd be a great place for a dental office. So I ended up getting in contact with the owner, and I asked him if he'd be willing to sell the space. And he, and he did. Um, but the space, it was totally gutted inside. There was no electrical system. There was no HVAC. There was no plumbing. There were no interior walls. Um, so there was a lot of work to be done, but... It also gave me a lot of freedom with my design so I could make the, the office exactly how I wanted to. And with him, I, I was able to negotiate um, a really favorable a really favorable financial arrangement for the build-out, which helped me, um, helped me have a very strong start with my practice. Um, I actually negotiated with the seller to pay for the build-out costs for my practice. Wow. Which helped me, obviously, keep my costs down mm -hmm. in the beginning. So you financed you financed the the, the kind of a the, the total purchase price, but that purchase price included uh, a build out. 
included, yeah, so it included anything that would need to be done. So um, we had we had the building appraised as is uh, in its current state, and we saw what that value was. And um, he agreed to do any of the build-out that needed to be done underneath that price um, to kind of ensure, ensure the sale. Uh, he, he got a really, 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 really super good deal on that building, so I knew that he had some financial room to work with. He, there, there was a backstory where the previous owner of the building passed away and he got the building really cheap. He bought the building for 20 grand and I knew it. So I knew he had a lot of, uh, a lot of wiggle room in negotiations. Pretty high powered negotiation for a dental student, uh, D'Angelo. That's, that's, that's impressive. You felt comfortable doing that from just some of the, your purposeful business owner, uh, I guess, uh, training you did yourself. Was it from your business courses and just even prior to dental school? Um, so yeah, I going, I just, I felt confident going into the venture just from the culmination of basically years of preparing. Like to me, to a lot of people looking on the outside, it looked like, Oh, he just graduated. What does he know? But to me, I had been preparing for years and years to do this. So I didn't really have too much, um, hesitation. Um, and I was pretty confident that I could make the project work. Um, and let's say it didn't work. Let's say, you know what, you're doing a startup. A lot of startups aren't profitable um, in the beginning. Some are, uh, but a lot of them aren't. I, I used to, I'm a big, big advocate of a lean approach when you're doing a startup. So if you talk to Bank of America, Bank of America is going to say that the average dentist spends in the range of near $500,000 to do a startup, okay? Um, and that usually does not include the purchase of real estate. So in my project, um, I had the real estate deal, which was um, you know a separate one. But for the actual practice, doing the actual, everything involves the practice, the equipment, the professional fees, the supplies, the IT, all that stuff. Um, the total all in for my practice was only $85,000. So I like to wow. tell dental students and young dentists, like, you don't have to spend a ton to open a nice practice. Like, it can be done for under $100,000 if you have a certain approach to it. But that's also so the, I, yeah. I had a free build out. I essentially had a free build out, yeah. but there's other ways you can get that done. You can go into a space that's already built out at the dental office and happens to be available, and then you don't have to pay for a build out. And then all other costs in, you can keep it under a hundred thousand dollars. Your loan payment every month is going to be so minimal that you're going to hit your break even after a day or two of seeing patients. You know, at least to cover your 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 practice note. A devil's advocate so here, though. I mean, that's obviously. My philosophy. But, yeah, I mean, I, I think what you did is, is awesome, and you had a great opportunity, and how you were able to leverage that and negotiate that is, is, is fantastic. That's, those opportunities aren't out there as much, though, you know, and I think I, I'm certainly all for keeping overhead low, but, uh, you know, what I see a lot of times when people are going into offices that are already fit, fit out or built out, they're going into an office that failed for one reason or another, and so... I look at that and say, like, you, you can keep those build-out costs low, but go back to what you said a few minutes ago, the demographics are important. You know, like, I think it's more important to be in a place that, that you so can you make, make money. You make a really, really good point. Yeah. yeah. You make a really, really good point. And I, there's, I think there's two reasons why you usually see a practice that is already built out and, it, and it's now vacant. One is the practice failed due to... Um, demographics or whatever reason and if it failed for a reason you have to say okay can I compensate for that reason or is this just a bad location you wouldn't want to go there 
Another reason why a practice could be available is, um, you know, maybe they just outgrew the space and they moved to a bigger space and left this one. Sure. That's what you ideally would be looking for. But it comes back to the demographics. Ultimately, like you have to go someplace where you can make yeah, money. I mean, and I, I am all for keeping overhead low. Don't get me wrong. But, you know, sometimes, you know, you're better off to spend a little extra money. Again, what you did is, is awesome and impressive. Uh, but, you know, I, I don't want people to think that, you know, just spend $85,000 and you can make this work. It's very difficult to do that, uh, given what the economic realities yeah, are for most and Everyone's going to have their, their own unique, unique uh, journey into, into this. Super impressive what you've done to start your practice at a early age and stage, D'Angelo. And as someone who is a, a medium age practice owner of two practices, don't, don't be jealous. Um, the, uh, I know the energy and effort that goes into running a dental practice while you also have to dentist. Yeah. So just share with us the, you know, the journey so far, challenges, stresses, good parts of, you know, how you prepared yourself to be a leader and manager, you know, is also while you're doing the dentist dentisting. Sure. So I, I would say that managing, managing is one of the, the bigger, bigger challenges, um, in running a practice for sure. And sometimes I think it's an overlooked one. So when you're from the emotional and leadership wise, there's this X factor of other people's personalities. And as a dentist, you know, just as in dentist culture, we're kind of very, all right, this is the tooth. This is the treatment plan. I can do these things and it'll fix the tooth. Just, and with a science background, it's very black and white. But when you're working with people, that's always, that's not always the case. And I think a good example of that is when I was first opening, you know, I, all this research about, you know, proper hiring and hiring the right people. And I put a lot of work to going through resumes and interviewing and making sure that I'm starting my practice. I'm going to have one front desk worker and one assistant, and I'm going to make sure I pick the right people so we have a strong start. And I spent a lot of time finding the right personalities to work with, finding people who were qualified and I thought they'd be great, and um, I made my decision. And then the weekend before we opened, I took them out to dinner at like a nice restaurant in town, and we had our little team meeting, and we all you know, got on the same page, hoorah, this is going to be great. And then we show up for the first day, and then my... Um, front desk workers in there. She's like, we're ready to go. And my assistant never showed up and I never saw her again. So put a lot of work into uh, choosing the right people. First day, assistant doesn't show up, never saw her again. So I have to kind of scramble to go back through the resumes and find someone who can come in on super short notice because now we're open and we have a schedule full of uh, patients that are ready to be seen. So there's always element. Um, a lot of times when I'm telling people, you know, when you're an employee, if you're having, you know, if, if people, other people in the office are having a bad day, you know, that's kind of their thing. But when you own the business and you're in those walls of the business and it's a small group of people, if anyone's kind of having a bad day, just uh, at a personal level in the office, that kind of becomes your problem too, to solve and make sure that the culture and the morale in the office is always high. And that's just an added layer of responsibility on top of doing doing the dentist thing, doing the dental work. Great, great story. Day. Real real world practice parenting really hits you right off the bat with a no show. That's a tough one. And I think um, <laughs> you know, I give a course, I'm a dentist now what to students and I used to, you know, say here are the top ten things about running a business and you know, one is being the star of a show that nobody wants to see every day. Um, and it's true oh, because the dentist, 
<laughs> you can only have a bad day on the inside part of your body. You're not allowed to. You're not allowed to show it to anyone else. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think we should just no. share more about that as practice owners because I think you know if someone came to my practice who was a dental student and you might think, okay, you know, Paul's the dental nacho guy and talks about buying and selling practices. When I go to his practice, things are just going to be so perfect. Right. And then they'll come and it'll be Tuesday and they'll be, you know, two hours in and they might think this is totally chaotic. And I'll say, well, this is just Tuesday. Right. So I think until you see the (laughs) behind the scenes of what goes on, you said something very yeah. important. Dennis think this is the two. Should we save it or should we extract it, right? We're going to make a decision and it's we got to pick the right one. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you, you shared, and I think that's great, about how you had the, things went off script. In our office, nothing goes wrong. It just goes off script. And, uh, you know, you had to fill in with the backup assistant and you were m- mentally flexible enough. And uh, Rob has shared with me some great podcasts over the years, and I've become a, a fan of Gary V. And he was talking about this just recently, how, you know, don't get yourself so worked up about being the best hire. Or just be willing to disengage from an, a team member if they're not the right fit soon enough. And he shared how he would hold on to people yeah. longer than he should have because he was so it was it was a it was an ego thing because he had spent all this time hiring them. So. I think what you shared and you didn't have a choice because your assistant didn't show. So thanks for, for sharing that. I think it's good to just share some of the challenges that go on behind the scenes in, in dentistry. Yeah. I, I, on the top of your V, you've got another quote that I really like that's along those lines of, of problem solving. Like you have this great plan, but you know, it's, it's real life and the plan, you have to be flexible. He has a quote where he says, um, sometimes you have to fix the airplane while it's flying. Yeah, very, very, very true. That's that's like a that just should be called every day for me. So I, yeah, I like so many, that. So many people do yeah. just get went to bad decisions because yeah. you're invested in it, yeah. you know. And it's like, and you see that too with with deals where you know people are getting you know they're all the red flags are up. You're about to close in a, in a week or two on a on an acquisition, and you know all the signs are do not do it, do not do it. But they feel like they've spent time, yeah. they've spent money. They've you know told people they're going to do it you know and and then it's hard to like back up the the truck and and the same thing comes with with hiring. I have a, a good friend that works uh, works at a hedge fund and he says like by the time you think like you should have whether or not you should fire somebody you probably should have done it six months yeah, ago right you know and but it's hard to yeah. just kind of reckon with bad decisions. But I think you know you're absolutely right, D'Angelo. I mean it, it's just part of the process and. You know, I think some people come in and this is tough for for dentists. It's hard for lawyers, too. We're all perfectionists. You know, we just want to have it. We want it to be perfect. We're going to try to make it perfect. And even if it's not perfect, we're going to make it perfect. And we're going to keep trying to make it perfect. At a certain point, it's going to be like, wait a second. This is not right. You got to let it go and just see that it's, you know, it didn't work out. Learn from the experience. Learn from the failure and and move on. Uh, but it's it's a tough thing to uh, to do once you're you know when you're really in the in the woods with that. Well, I think D'Angelo, a lot of times dentists and people, but especially dentists, they don't really like the Gary V quote you said was great. They don't like real time decision making because they want pre time decision making. So people will say to me, 
Paul, you're such yeah. a big fan of implants, but what happens when you know your your precious implants fail? What do you do when an implant fails? What do you tell the patient when it fails? And they're, I can see their brain lighting up with I don't know I don't want to call it happiness, but dentists are waiting for me to say this answer, and I just say I make the best decision in the moment when that happens. It happens rarely, and maybe I'll give someone a full refund yeah. if it was a short time. Maybe it lasted eight years, and I give them half off, right? And I was just talking about this today with somebody. Um, but I don't spend any mental energy worrying about that. I just fix the airplane when it's flying it. And I just don't think dentists, unfortunately, in dental right, school yep. are trained to embrace that. And I embrace it because I was a restaurant server for 10 years. And that just that's the whole world of re the restaurant industry. So I think decision making for dentists should be an entire thing in dental school. It seems like you've been able to you, you were able to create your own curriculum for it, D'Angelo. But I think we need to share that more with younger yeah. dentists because that's really the name of the game once you're out there. Yeah, and absolutely. I mean, in dental dental school, dental school still predicates very much on this is right, this is wrong. And in real life and in careers, anything outside of the school environment, it's not always this is right, this is wrong. It's not a multiple choice test where answer B is right and A, C, and D are wrong. It's not you're prepping a tooth and the box is two millimeters wide and three millimeters deep. It's, it's probably not what it's going to be. In real life, you have to assess the situation and then go with your best judgment and then roll with it from there. Yeah, I, I, uh, I totally agree with you. I don't, I, don't know if, I don't know if you have the joy of having small humans live in your house like I do, but um, you know, if you said to someone, would you give your not daughter, yet. <laughs> not, not yet to, so I'll give you, if you said, would you give your four-year-old daughter ice cream before bed, everyone would say, no, of course not. I say, what if you have a, a reservation to one of the best restaurants in town and only five minutes to get out of the house? I'm like, she can have as much ice cream as she wants. So yeah. that's real-time decision-making, you know? <laughs> So, uh, um, Absolutely. Hey, D'Angelo, so uh, tell uh, our listeners a little bit about what you're doing. I know I see on your website, you know, you've got uh, some uh, business webinars, dental business webinars, and then you also, sure. looks like you're doing some, uh, some live uh, CE events too. Sure. So I'll, I'll go through the, the stuff that, I, that I'm offering kind of for our listeners. So the biggest thing that I do is my Facebook group, which is just called Practice Biopsy. And kind of like you were saying, Paul, like the behind the scenes, the daily, like the problems that come up. I make a video about that, you know, almost every day. So if I had a weird interaction with a patient or there was a staff conflict or something came up when ordering supplies, I'm like, oh, I learned this. Other people will probably benefit from learning that. Almost every day, I'll make a video about what happened at work that day and what I learned from it and maybe what other people can learn from it. And I post it every single day, almost every day. Since I've opened my office, and I'm going to keep doing that for the in indefinite future. Um, on the Practice Biopsy website, practicebiopsy.com, there's blog posts, which are just my thoughts and strategies on uh, in-depth in in things. So, for example, one of them that's been really popular lately is uh, the most recent one I posted is how to set up how I set up my in-house membership plan for patients, and I give like templates and walk you through how to do it. Um, I have a pretty detailed post that's been popular about how I do my Facebook marketing. So I get, when I wrote that post, I was getting less new patients. When I wrote that post, I was getting like 60 to 80 new patients a month. Now I'm getting like 80 to 100 new patients a month. And all I do is Facebook marketing. And I like detail how I do that. And I write it in a post and I share it with everybody. I also do webinars. So much like we're doing a podcast now, I do webinars in a video format with other dentists. And we kind of just chat like we're doing now. We chat about 
you know, what they've learned through their business career, uh, interesting things that are happening. They share things that they think will help other dentists, and we post those on the website. Um, I do have a CE. It's not a live CE. It's an online CE that um, is basically made just to help you transition from employee dentist or transfer from a resident or a dental student, I guess, but transfer from that transition from that employee position to an ownership position. Um, it's an online program, and it also comes with um, one-on-one help from me in whatever capacity that um, you would need. So phone calls, emails, advice, consulting, all that stuff. So that's, that's, that's what I'm doing besides my, uh, my dentisting at the office every day. Sounds like the the uh, the Midwest Paul Goodman yeah, yeah, ten years ago, yeah, right? Yeah. I'm, I'm you, seeing this in like yeah, the yeah. early stages like of Doctor Nacho, right? Yeah, they were kindred <laughs> spirits. I think that's just awesome. Uh, great stuff. I commend you on you know doing so much documentation when you you. Uh, are going through it because you don't always remember these things when you're, you know, have a teenager practice like I do. So, you know, I think it's uh, yeah. re- really yeah. awesome. Yeah. Uh, and it, it, I think, I think forward, like how crazy it's going to be like in 10 years when I look back and see what I was doing on my second day of practice, I'll actually be able to look back and see me on my second day of practice 10 years from now. That's, that's just awesome. Uh, yeah. I mean, I think you're just doing a great service uh, for young dentists to, you know, Set, have them set goals, uh, learn it takes time to achieve them, do it in a purposeful way, all the things we share on our podcast. Uh, so we really just appreciate that. Yeah, so tell us, uh, D'Angelo. Hey, how, yeah, how can, I, appreciate, I appreciate the invite to the podcast. Yeah, it's been great. And, and so how can, uh, how can people learn more about what you're doing and how can they uh, uh, sign up or uh, follow the, uh, the Practice Biopsy Face group, book, book Group? Sure. Um, so the, the best, the best and easiest way is just to join the practice biopsy group on Facebook. Um, if you want to, if anyone wants to send me a personal question, they can email me at practicebiopsy at gmail.com. Probably the easiest way. So the Facebook group, um, practicebiopsy.com, the website, or send me an email at practicebiopsy at gmail.com. All really simple. I'm really, really an open book, really transparent, and I love to talk to young dentists and dental students in particular. Awesome, D'Angelo. We'll have to get you out to Philly to uh, share nachos with us in, us in person here sometime. Uh, so, uh, and thanks so much I'd for sharing. Uh, good luck with your Saturday uh, dentisting. I uh, hope all your crowns fit well. And, uh, I'll be there every have a, Saturday. <laughs> have a good rest of the day. Yeah, keep up the good work. All right. Thanks, Paul. Thanks, Rob. You guys take it easy, okay? So a uh, Dr. Nacho in the making. Yeah, yeah. Right? Like Angela Webster yeah, right? following the, uh, the Paul Goodman mentor playbook. call him up and give him half my work. He seems like he's very, <laughs> he's got more time on his hands. So, you know, he, maybe he'll get me that 25th hour in the day. But uh, yeah, that was just cool. I mean, it's, it's coming from someone who's, you know, I joke about being this medium-age dentist, but I remember that time well. And uh, some of the things he did at that's to prepare, for, prepare himself while in dental school just was really uh, nacho ordinary, to use a nacho term. Yeah, but it's like, you know, what I see too, it's like, it's, he was a businessman or thinking business before he was thinking about being a dentist. So, you know, you look at like the Mark Costas's, yeah. uh, the Andy Mattas that we've had on the show, you know, and here he is immersing himself. He's at University of Michigan. So the guy goes over right. to business school and, yeah. and crashes some courses. Yeah, that's you know, cool. it's a great thing. And, you know, I think it's, as you said, you know, being purposeful and really availing yourself of all the resources and being focused gives you a great edge, you know, and the people that are just kind of stumbling through dental school yeah. and, and you know, wondering and waiting for somebody to kind of give them the playbook. 
mean, the people that we see that are successful in this industry are the ones that go out and create their own playbook and, and make it happen. Right? Yeah, they, they do things that they, they see, they know that this is going to happen. And, you know, it's like a lot of times, you know, as I've shared with you many times, Rob, it's just like having a, a child that doesn't love you back, a dental practice. And, uh, you know, this is happening. You might as well prepare yourself along the way. And I just think it was cool how, you know, many dentists want to know about the dentisting part, the doing of the fillings, or you say sometimes the making of the donuts, but it's all the things that go in to being able to make that, to make people truly successful. And I just think us bringing awareness that the dental students is so great. Yeah, I, I agree. Thanks, Paul. Thanks, Rob. Thanks for listening to another great podcast with the Dental Amigos. And don't forget to tune in next time to have the dental business demystified. If you're looking for more information about today's podcast, you can find it on the dentalamigos.com. If you're looking for Paul, you can find Paul at drpaulgoodman.com. And if you're looking for Rob, you can find him at yourdentallawyer.com. This podcast has been sponsored by Orange Line Media Group, helping dentists and other professionals create content people love. Find out how we can help you take your business to the next level at www.orangelinemg.com. Till next time.